Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. So if we can't fix this today or solve it today, let's try to find the humor in it, move on, and you know maybe we just approach the problem a slightly different way tomorrow, but eventually we'll get there, and it, it doesn't need to be so all-consuming. That was Janice Flynn, a global corporate controller for Rackspace, an international tech company of over 5,000 employees, and our guest on this week's episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting. I was very fortunate to be able to get on Janice's calendar. As you can imagine, her calendar gets a little booked up given the breadth of her responsibility at Rackspace. As you're going to hear in the interview, though, even though she's had the progressive career that we all dream about when going through college, she's also a very humble and balanced individual, which she credits to some very key people in her life. This is a great episode if you're looking to have a successful and progressive career, but still maintain the personal priorities and that overall balance that we really all strive to have. So without further ado, here we go. Hello, Janice. Thank you for investing the time to do this interview. I've been looking for the opportunity to invite a guest on the show from Rackspace, primarily due to the reputation you all have for culture and for quite a long time, honestly. And then our mutual friend, Don Maranca, who was actually guest number one on the show, mentioned that he knew you, so it just seemed like the perfect (laughs) opportunity. Yeah, well, I have to tell you, thank you. I was very flattered. When uh, I received your email and Don gave me some background, and then particularly when I looked at the lineup at all the other interviews you've done, um, it is it is a very impressive group of people. So I am flattered to even be considered a part of them. Oh, gosh. Well, you're very welcome. I have to tell you what's sort of funny about this is Don mentioned he knew someone, quote, in accounting at Rackspace. He didn't tell me that you were the global controller. And so I didn't know that <laughs> until I did some research. Um, <laughs> Obviously, that sort of fits really well into the purpose for you know the show overall. So, so thank you. Um, of course, I'd like to get into what you do currently, and obviously that's an important part. But in order for people to know who you are, if we could start at the beginning, you know that would be great. How did you decide to even consider accounting as a career? What led you to that? So that is an interesting question, and unfortunately, it probably will not be very inspiring to your listeners, but I will (laughs) share it anyway. So I had to put myself through college, and I worked during college, and I was sitting in the accounting classes, and everyone kept talking about how hard they were. I'm kind of looking around like, what what am I missing? 
because while they were challenging, they, they weren't keeping me up all night or stressing me out like they were a lot of my peers. And I'll, let me qualify also, these were the entry-level accounting classes. These are like the first accounting one and accounting two you take. So I think that was the first indication for me that, you know, maybe this is a little bit more of a niche that I have than others do. I had also simultaneously during that year joined a business organization at UT campus there. And I noticed through that business group that all the accounting degree students were getting job offers their junior year in college. They hadn't even graduated yet and they were getting job offers. And I was like, how does this happen? So when I saw this path in college that led with a job offer a year before you even graduated, and the classes were, say, easier for me than others. Again, I want to use that lightly and not be insulting by any means. But I was like, sign me up. I mean, it, it was for me, it was literally a mathematical equation of I need a job when I get out. And this seems like the easiest path to do it. And it's just amazing how it worked out because I've loved it ever since. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I got very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you made a good decision, too. <laughs> Well, and I'll tell you what was funny also. When I got my job offer a year before I graduated, I remember I called my mom and I was just thrilled. And even my mom, I don't think, could quite comprehend it because she even was almost coaching me for, now, if it doesn't work out, it's all going to be okay, sweetie. Like, who gives job offers a year in advance? And I remember I had to fax it to her. So this is back in the days of fax machines, just so she would believe me that I really had a job offer. <laughs> <laughs> That is too funny. So where did you go mm-hmm. to work in that first position? So the first position was actually at Pricewaterhouse. I started out before there at Dell. I was an intern through college because again, I had to sit my way through. And once I went on the accounting track, one of the graduating accountants, and again, that business organization was doing an intern at Dell. And he said, hey, you know, I'm, a, I'm graduating. I'm about to move on. And my boss has asked me to see if I could find someone who can replace me at Dell and continue this internship for them. So I signed up, knew I needed a job. It was better than waiting on tables, which is what I'd been doing. I thought it would give me some experience. And it was great. It allowed me to, to pay off my college before I graduated. And, and my boss was just, he was still young enough that he could really be a good mentor and guiding me through college and the interviewing process. And I remember I just wanted to stay at Dell. I didn't want to leave. It was great. I fell in love with all the people I worked with. And my boss kept saying, Janice, you really need to go try public accounting. And I did not want to do it. I had just heard horror stories of the late nights and trying to, you know, claw your way up the career ladder. And the next thing I knew, I was at a lunch with my boss and a couple of my other team members and the auditors. And at that time, Press Waterhouse, they were our auditors out at Dell. And at the end of the lunch, one of the partners at the table said, well, Janice, this was a really great pre-interview with us. Well, you know, we'd like to see you at our offices, you know, tomorrow or the next day. I remember at the time I was so caught off guard. I just said, oh, of course. And I've looked at my boss later, like, what have you done? And so he almost kind of like finagled me into the interviewing process <laughs> with, with the, um, at that time, it was the big six accounting firms. And it has just been the greatest experience. My boss convinced me once I got a job offer from Pricewaterhouse, I did show up for the interview. I went through it all. And I told him, I said, look, I'm going to put in my two years. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get out. And then I want to come back. Will you have a job for me? And he's like, Janice, I will have a job for you. Just go do it. You might surprise yourself. 
And I loved it. I ended up doing public accounting for, I want to say it was a little over eight years, and it was just a phenomenal experience. I met some of the neatest people there. I learned a lot, and I wouldn't trade that time for anything. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. a very clever and sneaky boss you had. <laughs> I know. He was, he was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that, and obviously, he, he thought a lot of you and, and cared as well. That's, yeah, he was, he was a great mentor. So were those whole eight years in audit and with PwC or, or did you do a couple different things? So I did a couple of different things. So I did audit. My specialization stayed on the audit track. Even today, I still struggle with tax. So for all the tax specialists that are within your listener group, they should know that they're extremely valued for their subject matter expertise by us auditors on the other side. But I, I went to Pricewaterhouse and I had a senior manager who I pretty much did the majority of my engagements on. You know, in public accounting, you kind of have different leaders you work for. He was my key leader through all of my engagements. And a couple of, actually around four years in, we ended up merging with Coopers and Librand. So I was one of the ones that went from, gosh, were we even big eight back then? That's embarrassing. I can't remember. But but Pricewaterhouse and Coopers and Librand ended up doing their merger at that time. And as a result of that merger, he actually ended up leaving and going to Anderson, um, Arthur Anderson, because he had been at Anderson prior to that. And once you're in the, the public world, your track to partner is obviously based on your performance, but also to some extent your network. You know, who's going to help you get to the next level? You need to have a group of advocates who support you through the partner nomination process, for lack of a better word. So he went over to Anderson, had a huge network there, was promoted to partner, and I ended up following him from Pricewaterhouse. At that time, it merged into Pricewaterhouse Coopers to Anderson. So I was with Anderson, with him there, and actually even survived Anderson coming down and closing. So we were together at Anderson, and then he and I both, along with the rest of our team in Austin, ended up going to Deloitte. We had a just phenomenal partner group that was able to take our entire office and all of our clients kind of put us up for sale for lack of a better word. And they met with the other remaining firms, I guess then we would have been at four and we ended up moving our entire practice to Deloitte. So my husband kind of pokes fun at me because I went from Pricewaterhouse to surviving the Pricewaterhouse Coopers merger. Then I followed my boss to Anderson, and then I followed my boss to Deloitte. <laughs> so I kind of almost inadvertently, without planning on it, almost made my run through the majority of the, the firms through those eight years. And then, surprisingly enough, my, my partner, my boss, the one who I had followed through my career after leaving Dell, he ended up coming to Valero Energy here in San Antonio. And he reached out to me and said, hey, you know, there's some stuff we're doing you know, I think you should come down and see if this is a good fit for you. And I was like, no, I could, I could never leave Austin. That's our home. We love it here. And he kind of just kept poking at me. And after around four months, it was almost like God dumped a bucket of ice water and said, you really, I really want you in San Antonio. So I woke up one day and it was interesting. Both my husband and I had a complete change of thought about this opportunity in San Antonio to go work at Valero. So I made a very humbling phone call to my old boss and said, hey, if you know, you think I'd still fit in and you still have space and a need, then, you know, why don't I come down and see, meet with some of your team and see if I'd be a good fit. 
And so I ended up following my boss again over to Valero. (laughs) And that's how I made my trek down here to San Antonio. And that was just an amazing experience also. Valero was growing. They were doing wonderful things. I started out in the FP&A department, which is financial planning and analysis, some fancy words for basically doing your budgeting and your forecasting, and did that for maybe a year, a little less, before one of the divisions, the pipeline and terminal division, had a vacancy in their director over external reporting and the accounting. So from there, I was able to move into that division, the pipeline and terminal division, and became responsible for all of their budgeting, their forecasting, their external reporting, and all of their accounting. And so really broadened my remit, which was fantastic. I enjoyed that. And then that division started going through a very acquisitive period where we were acquiring a lot of other companies. And one of them happened to be a company actually larger than ours. And through that acquisition, we gained a lot of new members and also did some restructuring and had the opportunity to lead up pretty much what you would call almost your operational accounting division. So I was responsible for the general ledger, all of our revenue accounting, the accounts receivable and billing that came with it, success as accounts payable. So really got my hands a little bit dirtier on all the mechanics that happened in the background within an accounting operation, which was also very exciting and learned a lot there. And then from that point, that division, the pipeline and terminal division, started becoming large enough that we actually ended up doing a spinoff of it, Valero did. So that spinoff became New Star Energy. And it was, again, very natural for me to go because out of my time at Valero, the majority had been spent working in this division. So to leave with that leadership team, the CFO, the CEO, again, that's really the leadership team I had been serving. So going with them was exciting. But to set up a new company now, there were new departments that needed to be created. So I was responsible for developing all those new departments where Valero had been providing that shared service environment for us standing those up. And then the last department they needed stood up was a separate internal audit team because they didn't have a separate internal audit team before. So my first few years at Newstar Proper, so spinoff, was leading up our international audit team. And that was, again, a, while it was back to my roots, you know, in my public accounting days, it was quite different for me operationalizing that within a company. So I had the opportunity to do that. And I guess it was maybe a couple of years where I had been doing that. And one of the projects we had took me overseas to Amsterdam. So I did a project there and two weeks finished. I came home for maybe a week, had to go back to do some more work on it, which was another two weeks. And I was probably halfway through my second week and I called up my husband and I said, hey, I think I'm about to be in Europe for the next two years. (laughs) So pack up the kids because I'm at least going to bring you over for the summer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so it was a great opportunity. So that what that job morphed into was through that project I had been working on over internal audit, we really realized that the international operations that we had, we had left them as a very decentralized function and operation. And it was time to pull them in to the global processes that Newstar was trying to establish. So they placed me over, I guess, international accounting to really make sure we were aligned with the U.S. I also took over HR. I had the IT team reporting into me at that time. had legal reporting into me, but it was really more the external legal teams. Uh, We used outside counsel. So I got to build and stand up an international headquarters reporting into the international president, which was just a wonderful experience. 
I actually traveled back and forth for that job. I would spend two weeks at home and then two weeks internationally doing it. So that way we could make sure that I had access to the U.S. leaders and could get their support on areas we would need additional resources or coaching or guidance and then take that back with me to the international team and then vice versa. So while the travel was more than I ever would have expected, the experience was probably one of my favorites. I just, I really enjoyed doing that. And then once we got it set up and established, the intent was always to find a local leader rather than, you know, having someone in flex going back and forth. So identified a local leader, actually after a year and a half, so I didn't even have to do a full two years, was able to transition to her and then come back to New Star headquarters in San Antonio and almost brought it full circle and led up the SP&A team again. And this time I also had treasury. So I got to learn some of treasury. So that was probably my 10 years combined at Valero and New Star, which really is where my career went from the manager level to something much larger as a VP. So that, that was just an, an amazing opportunity and still really blessed for the bosses and leaders and peers that I had who helped me be successful at that time. That was a fast growth period for New Star and it was, it was huge. We, yeah. I remember I looked at one point I had to update my resume and we had gone in that little division that I started in the pipelines and terminals before it was called New Star. We were 800 million in revenue. And by the time I left, we were 5 billion. And it was, you know, just a phenomenal experience to have been a part of that ride. So while I feel like I contributed a lot, I would say I probably learned as much, if not more, you know, during those, those 10 years, which actually led into my Rackspace opportunity, I had a local recruiter reach out to me and said, hey, Rackspace is looking for someone for a fit that they have or for a position that they have. And I said, no, you know, it was a director level position. By this point, I was already a vice president. It seemed like I was going backwards. I said, but, you know, thanks for considering me. Good luck finding someone. And a few weeks went by and she called again. I said, yeah, I really think this would be a great opportunity for you. And again, I gracefully said, no, thank you. And then by the third phone call, um, and I had a good relationship with this recruiter, I was like, you know what, let me just meet with Rackspace so that I can tell them no, and it won't make the executive recruiter look bad because she's reached out to me a few times. <laughs> and it's, you know, always a good opportunity to meet one more person in San Antonio. So I ended up having lunch with who would become my future boss. And the lunch was so exciting about what Rackspace was doing, where they were in their growth trajectory. They weren't at the same 800 million where my little division was with Valera when I started with them, but they were at 2 billion looking to grow much bigger. And by the time we got through this lunch and what they were looking for, it just seemed to me like I almost had the opportunity to redo the last 10 years of my time at Valero and Newstar, you know, just learning again, meeting new people, setting up new departments and teams. And, that, and it also had an international flair to it, which had almost kind of become my niche at that point, working with international accounting teams. So it was a very long interviewing process, just getting to know them, the audit committee, and making sure I really wanted to leave Newstar because it had been a fantastic home. And my the blessing was my Newstar leadership actually ended up supporting me once I shared with them that I had this opportunity. Um, I've been here now four years, and it's been a great ride also. Wow. What do you do on a daily basis, I guess, at, at Rackspace? Oh my gosh, more meetings than I ever thought could be put into a day. <laughs> um, so there are some you know physical I, aspects to the job. <laughs> that's right. So what, you know, I can tell you that the teams that I'm responsible for, which is really the international accounting side, I have two gentlemen who who lead, one leads tax and then the other leads what I would call our 
our SEC reporting or our financial reporting and a little bit of our systems world. And outside of those two, I have all other things accounting. So our general ledger accounting team, fixed assets, revenue accounting, you name it, pretty much everything else that fits into that accounting world separate from the financial reporting and tax falls underneath me. At the same time, I have amazing leaders who really are the momentum behind all the work that those different disciplines and areas do. And I've always explained my job to them as I'm here to make you be successful. And how I think I can do that is by eliminating roadblocks that you have as you're trying to execute you know, your teams and strategies they're working against um, and help you to be successful and also set some of that strategic drive or vision of where the whole accounting organization, where we need to keep moving towards as we want to keep growing this company. Okay. So that doesn't sound very sexy, but that's, I'm pretty much a bulldozer that tries to remove as many roadblocks as I can to help my team be successful. And it makes a difference in, in the organization. So no, I, I think it's very important. Has that is that the role you were hired into originally four years ago? or It is. I was hired into that global controller role. Okay. Okay. So obviously some of our listeners will be you know, very familiar with Rackspace, but, but some may not. You know, we, we have listeners from all over at this point. So just, just so people have a general idea, approximately how large is Rackspace at this point? Sure. So I would say Rackspace is going to be over 5,000 employees globally and also averaging a little over $2 billion in revenue annually. Okay, wonderful. At least for the South Texas area, that's, that's a rather large employer. <laughs> it is. It's very big. A lot, a lot of folks. Well, Rockspace has the reputation, for lack of a better term, for being a fun employer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you enjoy most about working there? It's spot on. Our culture is very unique. And, you know, quite likely why we have so many Rackers that have had really long tenures here. It's not uncommon for me to find people who have worked for Rackspace for 10 or 15 years. We have some who who basically started here out of college and, and never left. And I think that's because the tech space is also really competitive. So they have to deliberately focus on things to keep it fun. So right now I'm wearing tennis shoes, jeans, a t-shirt and a, and a flannel shirt. There's oh a slide in our building that, you know, you can see pictures of if you go look online and that's popular. So they definitely do things to keep it fun, energetic, and really target an innovative workforce. I think for me, what keeps it fun is it never gets boring. There is so much going on within the company. When I joined the company in 2013, trying to make sure I'm getting my years right, in 2013, their growth rates were high. They were, you know, looking to become a $5 billion organization. And from that, you know, from the day I stepped in, I would say we had events that in my past life would maybe take nine months to implement. We were doing here at Rackspace in probably half the time. So a very rapid pace of change, high level of adaptability, and even the different transactions that we've encountered through acquisitions. We've done divestitures recently, you know, even most recently going private in November of 2016, just a few months ago having Apollo come in and hire us and now this new world of private equity that we're kind of maneuvering through is another great opportunity to learn a lot. So I always tell people when they're going through the interview process about coming to Rackspace is if you have a day where you're bored, then you're probably not doing something right because there is more than enough work and opportunity and change here 
that you really are learning something all the time and can stay very busy. And, and I think that's very appealing, you know, especially after having had an accounting career for 25 years to find something still new that you haven't done before is exciting and, and does kind of keep your juices flowing when you drive into work. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. You know, something you said, if I'm putting a couple of things together, you mentioned, you know, meetings earlier and we both laughed. I mean, we, we both know that's part of the job, but you mm-hmm. just also mentioned that you guys do things in, in a matter of a few months that another organization may take nine months to accomplish. What is it that makes the culture or the processes so efficient? What do you think is the driving factor behind that? Yeah, so I think there's two thoughts on that, and there's good and bad with both. So, you know, people usually, or when people ask me, what's your your greatest strength? A lot of times it's also your biggest weakness. I think that's going to be similar, the similar case here at Rackspace. What allowed, because Rackspace is only like 16 years old as a company. So what allowed the company to go from zero revenues to, you know, over 2 billion annually in that 15 to 16 year time window is being able to respond rapidly not having a lot of structured process and procedure, really empowering the rackers, which is what we call our employees, to get the job done. When you see something needs getting done, pick it up, do it, and get it over the finish line. And I think that entrepreneurial spirit is really what got them to where they are, definitely the first 10 years. I think now what we're trying to work with as a company is how do we keep that innovative spirit and not get bogged down by so much process, but still make sure that we have a controlled environment as we're making those changes. So, you know, when you go into companies that have been around for, let's just say, 50 plus years, so a lot of oil and gas, even pharmaceutical, they've had a lot of time to not only focus on their revenue streams, but in order to continue to be competitive, they've had to really scrutinize their expenses. And one of the best ways you can get efficiencies in your expense environment is by looking at all those processes, critiquing your vendor base. How do you go from an end-to-end procure-to-pay environment and make it the leanest it can be? So implementing all that structure allows you to get a lot of cost savings, which still help your margins for some of these older companies. Well, at Rackspace, revenue has been growing so much that while we've always been fiduciarily responsible with our expenses... We don't have a lot of that process embedded in the background that can really slow stuff down. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes. So we're able to implement and execute a lot faster than most people would. So that's the positive. I would tell you the negative is as we implement, let's say, one of these new projects in four and a half months versus nine months, the same, the product that we launch is good. It's going to get us by but it's probably not as good as it would have been if we'd taken nine months to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. There's so it's probably something job. we're going to have to come back and touch three years from now, but at least now it's getting us what we need to be. It's getting us to that next level so we can t- maintain our growth, continue focusing on our strategy, but it's much more adaptive in real time. And, and I think that has been a key differentiator as to what allows us to execute here more, more quickly. Okay. I know I've heard this in other industries, but particularly in the IT industry, that you know, when you're launching a new product, good is better than perfect. Yes. That, that we get a, an acceptable, decent product out on the market, but then respond to, to customer you know, requests and feedback, and you know, they're going forward. So, yes, no, that makes yep. a lot of sense. I actually wrote that down. That's a perfect saying, good is better than perfect. I think that's been a lot of what we have been focused on. Let's get 80% of the functionality we need. We can come back 
years later and get the remaining 20. But right now, let's just be really deliberate and focused on what we need and get it quick so we can keep moving. Mm-hmm. Getting, I guess, back to your, your own career, you've had the progression that that we all dream about when we're going through college. <laughs> you know, you start at the staff level and then manager and, and you follow a boss, you know, become controller, director, VP, et cetera just sort of the, you know, the, the perfect progression. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't exactly perfect, but it, it, it looks like that from the outside. What, what do you feel led to being able to move up that way? Do you have any advice for younger professionals, I guess? that would? You know, I do. And I can tell you, you need a strong partner in life to be able to accomplish, I think, what I have done and, and do it while keeping your sanity. So I have my husband of 18 years, I think 18 years, almost 19, is amazing. He has been a stay-at-home dad since we had our children. So our children are now 14 and almost 17, and he has raised them. I mean, I, I don't want to diminish my contributions to the family, but we have always been very clear with what our priorities are. And, you know, when you have someone who's taking the kids to school, sitting home with a sick child, running them from soccer practice to basketball practice, it has really taken a lot of pressure off my plate and allowed me to to focus on work and my career and stay late on the nights I needed to or be available for a transaction when one was occurring. And I, I truly believe my career would not be what it is today if I had not had my husband as my partner through the 25-year career journey. Wonderful. Shout out to Mr. Flynn. <laughs> yeah. He's, I married up. He's amazing. <laughs> I can relate. I married my high school sweetheart and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Yeah. I noticed also you're involved in some other things, goodwill namely, and and maybe some other Mm -hmm. things. I'm sure it's not a hundred percent online, but, but tell us a little bit about that. How did you get involved with goodwill? And I guess, what do you enjoy the most out of that involvement? That is a great question. So So it's interesting. Throughout your career, people will always tell you, oh, you need to do this. You you need a network. You need to go sit on a board. And I I think we get so busy that we don't even know how to to balance all those balls. Well, what happened with me is I had a dear, dear friend. We go to church together, but she also has a very similar career path as me. She's CFO for a local company. Her husband's a stay-at-home dad. And she sits on the Goodwill board and she came to me one day, probably after church and said, Janice, the Goodwill board has an opening. We're looking for some more financially astute individuals to come join it and be on the audit committee. I think you'd be a great candidate. And I'll be honest, Mark, if it had been anyone but this wonderful friend of mine, I probably would have been able to confidently say, you know, I'm just too busy right now. But her sincerity and knowing what a good friend she is, I was like, you know what? If your organization needs help, I'm flattered go ahead, share my name. And if they think I'd be a good fit, I'd be happy to, to come on the board. So I did. So I, jo- I ended up joining the board. I, I passed whatever test they had. They took me on. And it has just been a phenomenal experience, not only for me to develop as an individual, but almost my perspective as a leader. So when you are, what my experience has been is in my career, for the most part, I am surrounded by a lot of individuals who have similar thinking, right? So I work a lot with legal teams. I work a lot with human resources. And then also, obviously, my peers within the accounting world. And we tend to be more risk averse. We tend to look at things through a 
compliance lens. We also tend to look at things through a for-profit lens because I'm in the for-profit business. So all of a sudden, I had this opportunity to have a new group of peers. There was around 12 other board members on the Goodwill board, all from varied backgrounds and disciplines. I mean, we had the CEO of VIA, the bus circuit on the board at one point. The CEO from Girl Scouts, Inc. was on our board. And then also people who were just giving their time. We had a lady on there who is one of the head professors at Trinity here in town. So all of a sudden, I had these, this group of people who thought very differently from how I did and went through critical decision-making and just had a different approach to that. So to be able to sit in meetings and hear their thoughts, hear them articulate why they felt maybe a decision should be made in a different path than one I had been leading towards, you know, using my experience and background was just fascinating. And I've been on that board for, gosh, I want to say it's probably been around nine years. And I, I have just learned so much by, from different people, different backgrounds and, and hearing how people think differently and get to different answers. And it, it's just been a great opportunity. I also serve on the Boy Scouts of America board. So I think for any of your listeners, I would tell them, if you ever get asked the opportunity to join a board, I would highly recommend you try to to find the time and have that opportunity because what you will learn, I think, will just really broaden, you know, your leadership skills, your interpersonal skills, how you make decisions. It's It's been just invaluable for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I agree. If you, if you stay in the same environment all the time, you can get into a mode of, of groupthink. You know, you're all mm-hmm. thinking the same. And I think it's, it's important for your employer for you yeah. to be in other environments, you know, occasionally so that, so that you can bring new ideas. That, that makes a lot of sense. And you thoroughly enjoy it, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's a great gift she's given me that I would have never expected. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and I do have the final four questions that I end every podcast with, so we probably better get down to those. Okay. Um, The first question I always ask is, what has been your proudest moment? So this was a hard one for me to think of. I was so grateful. I saw some of the questions in advance when this one came up. And I think maybe it's just because we don't want like to brag, but I thought back when I was working at Valero and I was in this division where we were very acquisitive and doing a lot of acquisitions. When we acquired that one company that was larger than us, they were larger than us. And they all lived in a completely different state. They were in Kansas and we were full on acquiring and assimilating. I mean, it was pick up, pack up, sell your homes and bring your families down to San Antonio and let us tell you how wonderful this is going to be and why you should do it. And I remember just going through that experience as the key finance leader who was responsible for that transition and integration. I had to go up there. I remember sitting in their their cafeteria, looking at all these people who probably were scared, had a lot of fear, uncertainty, didn't know what was coming. They'd already heard through the rumor mill they'd need to move. And we went through around a two-month journey together of you know, with me either staying in their offices for several weeks at a time, getting to know them, and really trying to explain to them why the move was necessary, why relocating their office to the corporate headquarters was going to be important and help the company to be successful, and also why I thought it would be a good opportunity for their families. And, you know, I think that's hard to do. If I put myself in their shoes, if someone were to come and tell me, Janice, I need you to pick up your family and move to this city in another state, that would be very challenging. But I remember when it was 
we were, it was around a year later, we had gone through the transition, we had moved everyone down and we were in San Antonio. And when we looked back and I was talking to one of the leaders, we had, I think everybody, but two people came and I had almost all of those leaders on the one-year mark say, this has been the greatest decision I've ever made. And I can't thank you enough for guiding us through the journey. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Well, tell us about a mistake you made, what you learned from it, of course, but frankly, the more colossal, the better. Okay. So there's been many, many, many in my career, but probably the most colossal is one that had to go all the way up through the ranks Mm. within the organization. So it ties back to, again, the same acquisition we did. We brought our teams down, combined everyone, and we were going through our first year-end audit together. And there was a new piece of accounting that we had to deal with because of, as a result of this acquisition. And I remember, you know, my team was swamped trying to get through all this work because it's, it's obviously very complex when you're doing all the acquisition accounting, trying to do the combined financials. And with this new piece of accounting, I had been working with it, I think with the auditors were helping us with some of the consulting and the guidance. I think I'd even reached out to, to some other consulting firms for help. So we had all the numbers figured out. And I was one of the key members pulling all of the data together. My team members didn't know how to do the accounting yet. And they, they also didn't have the, the time or the capacity. So I felt like I was being a good leader by taking the lead on this and pulling the information together. So the number was calculated. We ended up booking our entry. It was a little over a million dollars. Said, whew, that's done. We wiped our hands on it. We moved on. Well, several weeks go by and auditors come back to me and they're like, Tana, there's an error in the number. And my heart sank. And actually, the number had to have been bigger than $1 million because the error was $1 million. So the number was oh. maybe 10 or 15. I don't even remember. Oh. The error in the number was $1 million, which for the company I was with at the time, that was large enough that we had to modify our financial statements to incorporate that. So we had to go back, open our old books get the number in there. And this is fortunately before we filed our numbers with the SEC, it was before we even went to the audit committee. So we were still in the audit time period, but it obviously, I had to communicate to my CFO that I made a mistake. I had to communicate to my CEO that I made the mistake. And then when we were in the audit committee meeting and they, the auditors showed, Hey, here's, you know, the error we found, but management agreed with the error and posted it in their financials. I had to explain why the error existed and that it was a result of my work product. Fortunately, I had a great relationship with my CFO, my CEO, and the audit committee. I, was, I stayed employed afterwards, and if anything, I, I think I felt so guilty about it. They were trying to comfort me because of the error. <laughs> but it, it was a huge, huge learning lesson. You know, so many times in our career, we, people feel like if their work gets reviewed, it's communicating a lack of trust between the boss and the employee. And that's not the case. We all make mistakes. Even I had made a huge mistake by just inadvertently transposing some numbers in the schedule. So I use that example with even team members that I'm leading or new staff and saying, hey, guys, when when we have people review your work, it's because we all make mistakes and your bosses are there to cover your back, find the mistakes and get them corrected. Because when you don't have someone reviewing your work, here's what ends up happening. So very valuable lesson for me that. Not only do I expect all my team members to have their work reviewed, 
But anytime I do a work product, everything needs to be reviewed because we all make mistakes and they, they can end up being big ones even unintentionally. That made you a better manager and, and it gave you a story to tell future staff members. Yes. But it's not just you think it's your, your work reviewed and why it should happen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you've mentioned a few people, not by name, but, you know, we were talking about prior bosses and that kind of thing. Who's been your biggest mentor so far in your career? Oh, gosh. Actually, another boss. So, Amy Cronus. She was my partner when I followed, again, my old boss over to Anderson. So, I got to meet her and work for her for several years. And she was a working mom. She was vibrant. She was outgoing. And I, I remember the thing I loved about her the best, where she was really motivational for me is we had um, a team member had made a mistake one time and I was the manager on the job. So I had to tell my partner and then we thought it would negatively impact the firm. So we ended up having to tell Amy. So we went into, she's the head partner of our Austin office. Amy Cronus was at the time. So I remember we went into her office and, you know, I walked her through the mistake that, that our team member had made. And, you know, I, th- I think at the time I was just very indignant about the whole thing. Like, how could he have made such a bad mistake? This is just horrible. And, you know, I was angry and outraged and how are we going to fix this? And, you know, I'll own it, but how do we fix this? It's horrible. And I remember she just busted out laughing and her answer was like, wow, that's a good one. I haven't heard that yet in my career. <laughs> it, it was just it was the last response I was ever expecting. I thought, I'm gonna get in trouble. I'm gonna have to go take the message to the client, blah, blah, blah. And and I just remember she was able to see life through a lens of humor and appreciate that that we're all humans, we're gonna make mistakes. And if we take life so seriously, we sometimes end up missing some of the important stuff. And it, it just helped me realize that there's a difference between passion for work and taking passion to a different level where it's unhealthy, but being able to see the humor in some of the situations we deal with. And I've carried that forward, even managers now that I lead, you know, when they can get very frustrated because there's a roadblock that's maybe taking too long for us to move or we're dealing with another team that's frustrating them. It's It's just that reminder of, you know, we as accountants, while the work we do is extremely valuable, we're not curing cancer. So if we can't fix this today or solve it today, let's try to find the humor in it, move on. And, you know, maybe we just approach the problem a slightly different way tomorrow, but eventually we'll get there. And it it doesn't need to be so all consuming that we can't try to see the humor in it and be a little bit more flexible with how we work with others. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, the the work we do is, is very important. But when a mistake is made, the reality is five years from now, you know, looking back on that, it, it won't have mattered. You know, That's a year right. from now, it won't. Chances are a few months go by and, and it really wasn't that big a deal. But at the moment, mm-hmm. it seems like a dire circumstance. So. That's right. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You know, it, it actually came from my husband. And I remember he, we were talking one time, and this is when my career was becoming a little bit more consuming than it probably should have been. And I was not spending as much time with my family. And I remember he said some really simple words. He's like, Janice, you need to prioritize what you love. And it, it wasn't just the sense of focusing on the family. At, at that time, I needed to focus on the family a little bit more. But how, it, how I've taken that and evolved it into my career and coached and guided other people is... We don't have a lot of time outside of the office, but that time that we do have, we need to be very deliberate in how we use it. 
So use that time to prioritize it on what you love. And love doesn't necessarily, and obviously for me, it's, it's my children, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. You know, there's a lot of accountants and, and career-driven individuals who might not be married or, and don't have children, but, but have a strong relationship with their parents or love playing the flute. You know, I had, I had one lady one time who said, I love playing the flute. I said, that's fabulous. When was the last time you played? And she's like, it's been years. And I'm like, do that. You know, in the time you are not in the office, prioritize what you love. So if you love playing the flute, if you love horseback riding, if you love sports, prioritize your time outside of the office so you are doing what you love. Because if you love what you're doing when you're not at work, you're naturally going to be happier when you're at work. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah, of course. It, it actually makes for a much more balanced individual. It makes you better at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Particularly in management. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Prioritize what you love. Well, thank you very much. This has been wonderful. I I knew that we were going to have a discussion about a successful career, but I didn't know about all the twists and turns about international (laughs) accounting and FP&A and (laughs) the the life insights. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Yes, and I, I have enjoyed it. And again, the, thank you for taking the time to do these because just the few I listen to in advance of our call are just very inspiring and give good insight into all the different paths out there that are available. And, and success comes in so many different colors, right? So it's, again, I'm flattered to be considered in this group, but also really value that to take you, you take the time to do this because I've, I've learned a lot from the other podcasts that I've listened to. Oh, well. That means a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is Mm -hmm. the purpose. Well, I hope to uh, talk to you again sometime soon. Yes, definitely, Mark. Thank you again. And I I know today's Friday. It might not be for your listeners when they listen to this, but I, I hope you have a lovely weekend. Thanks. You too. Well, that was my conversation with Janice Flynn, the Global Corporate Controller for Rackspace. As I said in the intro, Janice has truly had an extremely successful career, and as you can tell from the comments towards the end, she's been able to maintain a good level of balance within her overall life due to advice and and really insight that she received from key mentors along the way, as well as her very supportive husband, of course. This has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like or share the episode where you found it, whether through a podcast app, LinkedIn, Facebook, or even the whereaccountsgo.com website itself. We really appreciate your ongoing support. We'll be back next week. There's more to come.